U.S. William Hill is a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. Wake up with the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff. Weekday mornings at 7 on ESPN Las Vegas. KWWN in Las Vegas. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Justin Emerson. Uh, important question. Is your child asleep at the moment? And he just woke up. Which worked out, which worked out well for this radio hit. I agreed to do. Okay. Perfect timing. timing. Yeah. Can we talk to him? No, I don't want to talk to him. I have no interest in talking to him. Let me get him on the phone. Does he know why the Golden Knights can't score? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's got an answer. He has has strong opinions on the power play. (laughs) Could he run the power play? Yeah, he might be able to do this. He can't be any worse. See you later, Spike. You know what? He's he's three weeks old. I don't think he's ever seen a power play goal. (laughs) Oh, he could be six months old and he wouldn't have seen a power play goal. Um, All right, let's let's start there. Hyper specific. What the hell's wrong with the power play? Well, I mean, I think it'd be easy just to say that they're missing Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and Alex Martinez and Alex Tuck, and these guys are key contributors on the power play, but it's not like they had, they had those guys last year during the playoffs, and it wasn't very good either, and it wasn't good during the regular season last year. I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't know at this point if it's, if it's systems or if these, these personnel just kind of aren't, aren't getting the job done, but we're looking at about a full calendar year of a power play that just hasn't, hasn't been, hasn't been doing it. And I mean, we kind of thought during the playoffs, it was very, very evident at that point. But I mean, it's, I think the power play was bottom third in the league last regular season. They're the only team in the league without a power play goal right now. And, and they just look kind of lost with the man advantage. There were times last night that I was seeing guys just, it almost, it almost felt like they were just kind of winging it and were just trying to make something happen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not good right now. So is the wrong guy diagramming the plays? I don't know. Uh, that's, that's certainly a, a fair question to ask. I mean, since, since uh, you know, Pete DeBoer and, and Steve Spot arrived, the power play just hasn't been the strong suit of the team, and the penalty kills has been good, and five-on-five play has been good, but that's been, that's been one aspect of, of the game that just, just isn't doing it. So, all right, they obviously have a lot of injuries. That is the storyline of the season. That is a big reason, the number one reason why this team is not playing well. But they have lost four in a row, and offensively they've had a lot of moments where you you just don't even think they're really going to score. They still have guys on this team that are good. Like, they still have the entire misfit line. They still have Petrangelo. They still have Theodore. Like, do you buy into the idea that they are this bad simply because of the injuries or should they be better than they have been even with all those injuries? Well, I, not to, not to straddle the fence. I think both of those things can be true, right? Like this is a team that is missing. Uh, I, I ran the numbers last night, 39% of last season's goals is currently sitting on the bench. So this team is really good at controlling the puck. That's something that they've always done. Well, they had 42 shots last night. They had 30, nine against the Oilers and 43 against the Blues or, or whatever the numbers are. Those, those are close at least. So the, they're having possession. They're getting the puck on the net. But when you're missing the kind of finishing talent that they are missing right now, it's, it's hard to get the puck in the net. And you could see some frustration. Jonathan March or so, I think, just obliterated a stick on the bench late in last night's game. And 
Um, yeah, so they sh- and they should. When you have forty-two shots, you should be getting the puck in the net. So yes, it they are missing a lot of talent right now, but it, they're that. I don't want to say excuse, but it does only go so far. So off season front office decides, hey, we are going to make our bottom six better. We're going to make the depth of this forward group better. And now with some of the top guys missing, a lot of those guys that are supposed to be good forward depth can't finish and can't score. So even if this team is fully healthy in the playoffs and everything's fine, why is there reason to think it'll be different this year than in the past? If in the past guys couldn't finish on the bottom six and the guys that are supposed to be doing that can't do it now. Maybe you can look at uh, the matchups that they're playing against and the guys that they have to play against or whatever with elevated roles. But I, I, you know, I do still believe that if everybody's healthy, this is a good offensive team. I mean, you're looking at the third line that should, you know, when Nicholas was playing on the top line, that's not necessarily what you want. That's just not the role that he's, he's built for. He is, you know, a terrific bottom six forward. He's showed it in the playoffs. He showed it so far this year. He even scored a goal. I think as part of, I guess, the top line or second line or whatever you want to call it the other night. Uh, Keegan Colasar had two terrific opportunities last night that he was just denied. So it, they're they're closer than the four game losing streak and the one and four record would suggest. And I think that once everybody can get back and play the roles that they're designed to and their skill set is built for, I I I like where this team can go when everybody's healthy for the playoffs. Now, can they win the the division? Still, I, at this point, like we're only five games in. I don't know. They're eight points behind the Oilers already. That is a lot of points, and it's not like everybody's coming back tomorrow. So I don't think it's, you know, we're not this road trip away from fixing things for Vegas right now. But, you know, the Pacific is poor. I don't think they're really in that much danger of missing out on a top three spot to get into the playoffs. And you can be, have everybody healthy for the spring. I, you can still make a run. Uh, Juan Colasar each had more opportunities last night that you talked about than the entire Misfit line combined. We saw, like you said, Marsha obliterate the stick. Riley Smith just seems to be frustrated all the time. So can you talk about the misfit line? Are they trying too hard with guys uh, with guys out? Is there something about the misfit line we talked before the season? Go ahead and split them up. Like, where do you see that line? That's that's a great question because they, I don't think, have looked all that great the last couple of games. And, you know, they always look good on the rush. I think there was a two-on-one chance that got snuffed out a little bit last night. That's where they've scored a couple of goals this year. When they pick up the puck in their own zone, they're – they're fast, they're skilled, they can get out. But I think they, yeah, they might be trying to do a little bit too much right now. It seems like they're looking for that extra pass, or even if they're not, they're looking for a shot that's not there. They're just trying to carry the weight of a four-game losing streak in a gold drought on their shoulders right now. And this is a line that was designed to be the second line. And we saw it during the Colorado series last year when they weren't matching up against the McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog line. They were Vegas' best scoring line. And that's, that's kind of what they can do when, again, like I had said earlier, when you're playing the guys in the roles that you've designed them for can be dominant, and right now they're they're not. And against a team like the Islanders that just suffocates the life out of you once they take the lead, it was, it was at, at times, a little tough to watch last night. You tweeted out the fun stat that the last time this team lost four straight games in regulation, <laughs> Gerard Gallant got fired. Um, so let me ask you this. How safe is Pete DeBoer's job? Like if we have another situation like the year Gallant got fired where we're into January and this team is not in a playoff spot, how safe is DeBoer? You know, I don't think, I I think he's very safe. I don't think that that's 
you know, necessarily an option right now because as as they've said after the games, these last couple of games, they are playing well. They're getting 40 shots on goal. They're missing their best finishers. So if all those guys are there, are the Golden Knights one and four right now? Are they three and two? And we're talking about a completely different, you know, atmosphere of things. But if they are in January and, and they're not in a playoff spot, is Pete DeBoer going to get fired? I don't think so. But to be totally fair, I didn't think that they were going to, they were going to fire Golant either. So I guess you never quite know, but I would, I would safely bet that Pete DeBoer will still be the coach for a wait, while. Wait, wait, wait. Where is the most inconvenient road trip? I was just going to say that. Where <laughs> will you and I be at the airport? I, hey, look, if they have to bounce them, can they do it when they're playing in L.A.? Well, uh, I was, what was it, Ottawa? And, it was uh, Ottawa. And, well, aren't they going to Ottawa next week? That's true. Well, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Calm uh-oh. down. Calm it's down over there. Yeah, yeah, you're right, though. And having to uh, having to find a last-minute ticket to Los Angeles to go over to the yes. Staples Center would be a lot easier than trying to figure out the logistics of getting the Canadian Tire Center on 12 hours' notice. Uh, have you figured out, and look, it's still, you know, there's still kind of hefty crowds, not 18,000 yet, um, what's going on there? That That seems to be, again, like this nightly narrative of, well, you know, People aren't showing up. Well, look at all those empty seats. Well, look at all the uh, opposing sweaters in the stands. Have people shied away on the prices? Have they shied away? Is, it, is there still a flurry after effect? I mean, what what do you think is going on here? I, I legitimately think that trading flurry had a very negative effect on the fan base, and that's kind of an obvious sentiment. But right now when the, when the team's losing and, and ticket prices are high, and it seems like, yeah, there's just not – as many fans as there have been. And last night in the end of the game, there were a lot of great seats as, as Golden Knights fans left. And there was created a vacuum for a let's go Islanders chant. that was pretty loud with about two minutes left. So I don't know, you know, last night there was the Raiders had played earlier. It was a late game on a Sunday. So I kind of get that, but you know, they play again on Friday on Nevada day should be a big crowd, but if they lose to Colorado and Dallas and they're on a six game losing streak, you know, maybe, Maybe this is kind of the year that 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 famous fan support starts to dwindle and and dry up. I mean, everybody comes back healthy. They take over the division lead. They'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, right? Like winning does really cure everything. I mean, so the the big thing with attendance that I always like to talk about is I grew up in Arizona as a Coyotes fan. And when the Coyotes came in the late 90s, it was the hottest ticket in town. They were selling out. It was packed. Everybody was talking about them. You lose for two decades and fans start to disappear. And obviously golden Knights are nowhere near that point, but if you're not winning games, people find other things to do with their money. So, I mean, it, and if you're right, if they win five, six in a row, everybody's back healthy and they're challenging for the top of the Pacific. I, I we're going to see a pack team mobile arena for sure. Yeah. It's been a rough two weeks for the franchise. Come on. Fan base is out of time. Well, I mean, the TV, TV shows or the start as you could get. Yeah. The broadcast is flipping off in the middle of games. Yeah. And Millard supposedly tripping over wires and shutting off the broadcast. <laughs> it's a disaster out there. Right. It's unbelievable. It's been a tough two weeks. It's a very uh, tortured franchise <laughs> out here. Golden Knights has been rough. He's Justin Emerson from the Las Vegas sun. Justin, we appreciate it. Go back uh, Thanks, to Justin. being a father, I appreciate guess. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. You guess. Boy, you yeah. have no interest. Oh, my God. Kids you have are no the interest. worst. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I really, all I want is a sitcom level of, like, suddenly, like, some distant family member passes away and Tyler has to raise three <laughs> kids. Raise two I children. am so far down the depth chart on family <laughs> oh, members yeah, that they would never raise go kids. To him. 
they'd never go to him. My brother has three. Just give him another. They, he, no, but he wouldn't even notice. My both <laughs> of my sisters are much farther ahead of me. My mother is ahead of me. Hell, my dad's probably ahead of me living out here by himself. What do you do in terms of Uncle Tyler? Are you nice, Uncle Tyler? Or do they those, you come up and these kids like this guy never even talks to us? Uh, we don't talk to him a lot. Uh, they <laughs> the yeah. children or your brother? <laughs> Both. I don't okay. talk to my brother a lot as it is either. So the well, children got you don't have to worry about dark. You don't have to worry about like birthdays. We Christmases. buy we buy him birthday and Christmas okay, presents, right. and like we we Facetime them during holidays. Like okay. we know they during know holidays. who we are. Yes, but like it's like. Jared, did you <laughs> the people who go to church? Well, I went on Easter and Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like Basically, we FaceTime yeah. in a, on But like holiday. I live in Mississippi. I don't see him a whole lot. Everyone's like, back there. Uh my mom and my brother and his three kids are in Mississippi. My younger sister is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and my older sister is in Savannah, Georgia. All right. Yeah. She has two kids. I've never met one of them. He's only <laughs> he's only like a year and a half. Oh, okay. Old, I thought yeah. I thought Yeah. <laughs> He's 15. Yeah, no, no. He's <laughs> yeah, he's deciding which college. To I don't attend. even think he's two yet, so it's not like it's been a you know decade. But I have not met one of my nieces, but you send presents. nephews. Yes, we okay. send presents. Right. Except every now and then, my brother will be like, "Don't send them anything. They've already got 1,500 presents under the tree, and I'll, we still send them something." Yes, so, you have yeah. to. Yeah. Star- you, Starbucks can, gift card. Can yeah. you see these kids opening their presents? Who the hell is Uncle Tyler? Oh, the best was we sent my sister's uh, son a bunch of, like, superhero capes. Like, it was like a four-pack, like a Batman cape, a Superman cape. That was great. What a great present. I wish I got those as a kid. Real capes? Yeah. Like, it came with a little fake mask and a black and a red. Amazon? uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? It was great. What a great gift that was. You're welcome. (laughs) Probably lost (laughs) it by now. I know you. But I'm a terrible uncle, absolutely. Absolutely terrible uncle. No chance I'm a good uncle whatsoever. No. My girlfriend actually says at times we need to be better about your nieces and nephews right. and talking to them and being a part of their talking lives. Talking to them, talking yeah. to them. And I'm like, how am I supposed to be a part of their lives? They live three time zones away. I can't talk to them. Is, is Circus Circus still uh, a horrifying uh, place for children? Yeah. Or is it they have they like cleaned it up? Because you know maybe bring the deeds to death yeah, and put them on bring a ride. Them on out. Put them on a ride or two. I talk to my brother. You, can you imagine talk to him that? more than I do. The brother wants to go and gamble, and he says, "You just got to take care of the kids for one day." Oh no! Chance. And this kid's oh, got a God. bunch of kids. Right. So I, you got three. You had three of them. I'm returning you with two. <laughs> That's a six hundred batting average. <laughs> doing I'm doing pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. That's got, a Hall of Fame number. Right. Exactly. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Bischoff's Briefs. I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do. Bischoff's Briefs. I asked you to do three. Yeah. Bischoff's Briefs. To evaluate three players. Yeah. How many did you do? Bischoff's briefs. 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. Bischoff's briefs today is looking at the Raiders because what's an impressive part of this 5-2 and two start? They are doing it 
without much help from their first-round draft picks over the recent years. If you run through them, Colton Miller's been a solid left tackle. Uh, Henry Ruggs has been a decent wide receiver. Jonathan Abram is better, but not good, uh, now that he essentially plays linebacker. Josh Jacobs has been hurt, hasn't been a difference maker. Damon Arnett is hurt, has been very bad. Cleveland Furl, does he even play anymore? No, I watched him on the sideline yesterday. Very clean uni. Uh, Alex Leatherwood has moved to right guard. I guess he's been better there, but still not good. Basically, seven first-rounders under John Gruden, and they have gotten maybe a decent season so far out of two of them, maybe three of them. Uh, The Raiders blew up the team, and they did not draft well in the first round, and yet they are still 5-2 and right now. So I want to look a little bit into the future, into what the Raiders should do with some of their players. Uh, with first round picks, you can give them a fifth year option. All rookies are signed to a four year contract, but uh, first round picks, there is a fifth year option. The Raiders have already wiped that out with Colton Miller and gave him the big massive extension. So he is not an issue, but this coming up off season, the Raiders are going to have to decide on Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Abram. Now they'll all still be on the team next year because next year will be their fourth year, but the NFL makes you pick up the fifth year option after their third season. So after this year, they'll have to make that uh, choice. I don't think the Raiders should pick up the fifth-year option on any of them. Cleveland Furl's fifth-year option would be $10.3 million. There's no way you can pay Cleveland Furl $10.3 million if he's not seeing the field at all, let alone not producing any sacks, but not even getting on the field. No chance you can pick up that option. Jonathan Abram would be $10.1 million. They had to change his position to get him to be still sort of a below average level defensive player. I don't think you can pay Jonathan Abram $10 million. You can find somebody that will do his job somewhere else for much cheaper. And then Josh Jacobs at $7.9 million. I think they might pick up Josh Jacobs options, but they absolutely should not. Two reasons. Number one, he has not been healthy for a long time in his career. He's already missed two games this year, left week seven early. And on top of that, are we convinced he's significantly better than Kenyon Drake or Peyton Barber? I mean, the best game any running backs had this year for the Raiders was Peyton Barber. And Kenyon Drake sitting there is a more productive pass caster. And so far, he's been a better yards per carry guy than Josh Jacobs. I think if you're going to give Jacobs that $7.9 million fifth year option, he's got to A, be healthy, which he hasn't been, and B, be significantly better than a guy you signed off the street in Peyton Barber. And I'm not sure he is. So the Raiders will still have another season and a half to evaluate Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett. I would guess Ruggs ends up getting picked up and Arnett does not. Uh, So that's looking at the rookies. Now, I have a hot take for you that doesn't involve rookies, but is in the same kind of mindset here. It might be a bad hot take, but the Raiders should not give Darren Waller an extension. Where is he on his contract? He has two more years after this season, $6.75 million a year. He is a very good value in the NFL. Uh, If you eliminate quarterbacks and just look at all other positions, he might end up being one of the best values in the league. But the Raiders should not give him an extension. First off, when his current contract is up, he will be 32 years old. So if you're giving Waller a big extension on top of his current deal, you're paying him when he is 32, 33, 34, 35 basically for what he did when he was 27 and 28. And just in general, that's a bad idea. Uh, Second, if you look at sort of comparables, George Kittle, his cap hit the next three years is 16 million, 16 million, 18 million. 
if you're having to pay Darren Waller 10 million more than what he's making now, he becomes much less valuable and value. I think is the key. The tight end position is one of the least valuable positions in the NFL. There are a few guys and Waller is one of them that can function effectively as like a number one wide receiver from the tight end spot. Travis Kelsey does it. George Kittle, when he's healthy, does it. And Darren Waller has done it the last couple of years. But if you're the Raiders, if you're any team and you can land a true number one wide receiver, you don't need your tight end to be a true number one wide receiver. You can survive with a worse tight end. You can survive with a Foster Moreau or something like that. And by the way, Foster Moreau yesterday, six catches for 60 yards. Darren Waller's season average, 5.6 catches per game for 64 yards Mm -hmm. per game. He had a massive first week of the season. Darren Waller has not done much since week one of the year. Moreau basically matched what he's doing. If Waller holds out for a bigger contract, which he could do after this season, I think the Raiders should let him. They should let him hold out and say, we'll be fine with Foster Moreau or whoever the hell the tight end is going ahead or trade him. And if they can get a legitimate, like if somebody offers you a second round pick for Darren Waller or something, trade him and take the pick because I think they can survive. I think they can function just fine without Waller. Now on the flip side, that's the team perspective on the flip side, Darren Waller should hold out. There is no doubt about it. Darren Waller should hold out after this season because, and the key point is he's going to be 32 when his current contract is up next season. George Kittle is going to make 10 million more dollars. Hunter Henry and Janu Smith, I think are both going to make double what Darren Waller makes next season. He should absolutely hold out for a mm-hmm. bigger deal because 32, there's two more years. That means there's two more years, A, for him to get hurt more and not be as effective, or B, just generally not be as effective as he was these last two years. He needs to cash in as soon as possible. If I was Waller, I would hold out. And if I was the Raiders, I would let him hold out and trade him or wait until he shows up because you're going to go on with life with Foster Moreau. Okay, so of all that, right or wrong, I think they're going to pick up the option on Jacobs. I think they love Jacobs. Yeah. I think they love him, and he's been hurt a lot. I think they pay Waller because they paid Miller, and he's a lot younger, but I think they will look at that and look at whether this should be a part of it or not, the PR hit that would come from people outside the organization if they don't extend Waller. Everything you're saying about him is true. I just think after... They should have never extended Colton Miller because they didn't have to. I I, I always uh, am fascinated by teams like the Golden Knights with Flurry and, and and the Raiders with with Colton Miller when they extend people when they don't have to. Like I'm always fascinated about like why is that? Yeah. You're not they're not going anywhere. And then if they hold out, then you have to negotiate and make some kind of decision. But I think they extend Waller. And everything you said, I completely agree with. I just I just think they do. I have a feeling that they'll pick up the option. You, I also think you're right about the ones they won't pick up the options. Uh, now, that's not to say, am I correct, Cleve Furrow comes back next year, you don't pick up the option, and he's awesome, and then you just consign him. Right, you can sign them. It's not like you can no longer sign these yes, guys. Yes, you can still keep them. But, but you might have either a really motivated John Abrams and Cleve Farrell or a really disgruntled John Abrams right. and Cleve Farrell. It could go either way because you don't pick up their option and you pick up Jacob's option. Yes. I And and with those two, I I don't think you pick up the option on Farrell and Abram and you keep them around for the fourth year. And listen, yeah, you just see if they're awesome. If one of them has a great year, awesome. Right. That's great for the Raiders. And then, hey, yeah, let's try to sign them to a big deal because the thing with the fifth-year option is it only locks them in for one extra right. year. Right. 
So even if you locked them in for the one extra year and they came back and were awesome, you're still having to give them a big yeah, extension. Yeah, you're still going to have to extend anyways. Them. So those ones are easy. Personally, if I was running it, Jacobs would be easy too. I wouldn't give him the extension, but I, I, I agree with you. I do think, I think Jacobs they will extend him. Unless, I mean, obviously, if like, option. obviously if he's like hurt the rest of this season and next season, then like then, then yeah, you're probably not picking it up. But I think if he comes back and plays in, you know, eight games the rest of the way, at least, yeah, they're probably picking it up. Coming up next, Paul Gutierrez joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Takes a step, bobbles it. It's on the ground. The Raiders jump on it. Jalen Hurts has turned it over. Well, to be fair, Jalen Hurts has taken some shots all day. Corey Littleton came up with the recovery. Jalen Hurts for the second time today bobbles the snap and the Raiders say thank you very much. Absolutely. Like like I said, man, that's like my brother. We we push each other all the time. We're trying to be a dynamic duo. And, uh, you know, we want to be like the greats, like the Vons and the D-Wares and guys like that. So uh, we push each other each and every day, and uh, that's what it is. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Ed, I don't know if you saw this in the Press Box on that Hurts fumbled snap at the goal line. The right guard's hand actually hit the football as it was going from the center to the quarterback. I did not see that. Yeah, and Hurt still should have caught it. It was still right there. He should have caught it. But the right guard of the Eagles' hand just flashed out and tipped the ball as it was getting snapped back to Jalen Hurts. Great job by the Eagles. Joining us now from ESPN is Paul Gutierrez. How are you, Paul? Hey, Paul. What's going on, fellas? Um, All right. Biggest difference the last two weeks now that Rich Passaccia is in charge is what? They're having fun. And it's one of those chicken and the egg things, right? What comes first, the wins or the fun? Do you have fun because you're winning? Are you winning because you're having fun? Um, You just see them playing with a lot more freedom. Uh, They don't look like they're afraid to make a mistake. And that's on all sides of the ball. And, and, I mean, if the worst thing that happens is your your leading scorer in the NFL last year, Daniel Carlson, is missing extra points, (laughs) I think you'll take that. But at the same point, it's just bizarre to see. And I say that, I say this with all certainty, right? that it's bizarre to see them playing with so much fun, so much focus, so much anger, and it's all kind of coming together. And the score is misleading the past two weeks because they're giving up garbage points late in games. But, um, yeah, that, that's the biggest thing is they're just out there having fun. Is this something – does this say anything about what Gruden wasn't doing? Was he too intense? We heard the Josh Jacobs quote. And afterwards <laughs> – and I, I think you asked him the question – and you hear that quote, and you're like, okay, they just won a game. Is this what guys say after they win? Hey, it's a lot looser. We heard him. We heard Henry Ruggs with Greg Olson on, on, on the uh, headsets. How, how much truth is this, Paul, that maybe Gruden was a little too intense and, and they kind of got caught up in that? Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is if you look at what the, the common denominator is or, or what's no longer there, right, it, it would have to be John Gruden. And it's going to affect different guys in different ways. And, and as I wrote today, uh, you know, there's probably no, there is no player in the locker room that was affected more emotionally, uh, probably financially, uh, in every aspect than Derek Carr because of the unique relationship that he had with John Gruden. And he, he said he still really hasn't had a chance to process what's gone on. 
and I wonder if that might actually be a detriment, that he's got a chance now to marinate in it because of the buy. Um, but, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, you, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, what's different? Well, John Gruden's no longer there, and that's not taking a shot at him, uh, the coaching style and things like that, but when a team responds a certain way, you have to sit back, take the wider view, and go, huh, okay, well, then maybe that is what it was. Maybe things were too confusing. Maybe he was too old school. Uh, you know, when Josh Jacobs, and that's the one thing I tried to point out in the tweet later, too, when Josh said what he said about, you know, there was no anxiety on the sidelines in Denver. There was nobody cussing at the players, nobody going off on the referees. Uh, he was laughing when he said it. It was, it was kind of a funny thing. So it wasn't like he was taking a shot. But the one thing that I, like, I really love as a, as a reporter covering this team regarding Josh is he's brutally honest, uh, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. He's going to tell you exactly what he's feeling or what his interpretation of things are at that point in time. Derek Carr in weeks one through three and weeks six and seven has looked unbelievably good. But we did have weeks four and five where he kind of looked like some of the old Derek Carr where he wasn't good under pressure, threw the ball away a little bit more. How confident are you that that Derek Carr doesn't show up again the rest of the season or at least not enough times to sink the season? Well, I think you look back and you see, well, again, look for a common denominator, right? Um, early on, he was, he was getting protection. Uh, they were getting the ball out. Uh, a lot of the scripted plays that Gruden had, had run in there was, was set up. Uh, as we heard a lot in the press conference yesterday, Ed, uh, the pass was setting up the run to mm-hmm. take care of that young offensive line. And, and you saw it again. So now when Derek's not, not getting hit every other play or every single play, he's going to play with more freedom. He's going he's to play with more um, confidence. And I think that's what we saw in weeks one through three. That's what we've seen the last two weeks is that offensive line is starting to gel. It's keeping him protected, but it's also got a lot to do with the freedom that he has. And I wrote a story after that 3-0 start talking to Rich Gannon, and he saw a lot of similarities between his MVP year and, and the way Derek had started out. But now it's even more so because, remember, when, when Gannon had his MVP year in 2002, who had just left? Who was no longer the play caller? It was John Gruden. So it was almost, it's not saying that John was the problem, but you get this automatic emotional bounce when somebody you're so tied to, invested to, is suddenly gone. And a lot of that is mental gymnastics, I know. But uh, it's a huge leap, but it's also a logical leap. Paul, we were there when Mike Mayock had that press conference after this happened. And as we talked about earlier in the show, one of his messages was, this is not an interim coach who's got three three games left. This is an interim coach who has the season left. Derek Carr yesterday, we would love for him to still be our head coach in the future. He has the pulse, the heartbeat. He's our leader. I mean, one, first question, how realistic is that Rich Bisaccia could keep this job? And two, what do they need to do for that to happen? Uh, they need to win. <laughs> they yeah. need to keep winning. If they get in the playoffs, then, then he's got a legitimate shot. He needs to not bury a football uh, in the facility <laughs> the same way that Tony Sperano did and really lost Mark Davis at that time. Um, so if he wins and he keeps the locker room and everything is hunky-dory and they get to the playoffs, then you can start talking about what, what a legitimate shot that is. Um, the other thing that Rich Versace needs to do is realize he needs to say, just win, baby, as he's running off the field and not, how about them Raiders? That's a Cowboys <laughs> thing. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get fired on the spot for that now that you bring it up. Just get yeah, him out of here. Yeah. we got to get the right uh, phrase down here. If you look around the AFC, the Bengals are 5-2. and two. The Titans have beaten the Chiefs and the Bills in back-to-back weeks are 5-2. and two. The Raiders are 5-2. and two. The Raiders are the blank best team in the AFC right now. 
Uh, I mean, the, the NFL is such a week-to-week league, right? I mean, what, what's what's great and golden right now is, is garbage the next week. So right here, right now, I mean, the seedings are they're the second-best team. So that's what I'm going to say right here, right now. But that's only because the Chargers were on their bye and they didn't have a win to, <laughs> to jump in front of them. So it's just it's just a strange, strange league, and it, it truly is even more so now than, than when I started covering the NFL back in 2005. It really is, you know, and this, I'm going old school. I'm going Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? That's exactly what this league is. And right here, right now, the Raiders are the second best team in the NFL or in the AFC anyways. And uh, that just sets up a monster clash on November 21st at Allegiant between the Bengals and the Raiders. There you go. (laughs) Monster. Putting it out there. Uh, Okay. So let's, they come off the bye, and the giants are terrible. So uh, they can go to six and two. Tell us the difference between this six and two, if it happens, and the collapses of recent years. Why will it not happen this time? Yes, from six and four to six and three to six and two. There's there's something. Uh, yeah, we're talking Mark of the Beast now, Ed. I mean, we're talking yeah. three sixes in a row. Yeah. Um, why is this different? I think because they've they've kind of found an identity now, and in these two games with Rich Bisaccia. You know, and I tried to ask a couple guys about it yesterday just how much more of a calming influence he is on the sidelines, but they didn't want to touch it because they would all assume that it would be taken as a shot at Gruden. But this just feels different because you feel like they're peaking. In those other seasons, you felt like they had already peaked and that those were trap games coming up. Uh, and yet, those teams weren't good enough to have trap games, right? right? So the Giants, again, it's a strange thing. It's a long trip. It's a 10 a.m. body clock start time. The Giants are terrible, but yet where did the wheels fall off two years ago? In that same stadium, MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. So it, it just feels different, and I, it's not really tangible, but that's all That's all I can really give you is because they seem like they're on the upswing. Those other years, you could feel it coming. Uh, I don't necessarily feel it now. Now, they've got to buy. They've got a lot of injuries they got to heal up from. they got some issues they got to solve in-house. And like I mentioned, I, I do wonder how Derek's going to respond to this now that he has time to kind of marinate in it. And as he said himself yesterday, he hasn't had a chance to process what this whole thing has been. It's been like, ooh, ah, okay, next game. Well, now he's got a chance to really talk about it. And who's his neighbor? Oh, yeah, John Gruden. I forgot about that. <laughs> Can I borrow a cup of sugar? He goes over there. He's like, do you want to break down some game film? <laughs> <laughs> well, he is Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Paul, we appreciate Thank your time. you, Paul. Thanks, guys. And, hey, we didn't even get to talk about UNLV running out of time with seven oh, minutes on the clock. Okay. Right. Right. What a drive. No, right. what a I'll, give you, I'll give you, like, 60 seconds here if you want to go. Like, yeah. seven minutes and <laughs> seven home- seconds to drive say, down the U- field. You know, as a UNLV alum, it was a, not a happy homecoming. It was just strange. It was bizarre. <laughs> and then to have the game end that way on, on what was an obvious targeting call but did not end the game. Uh, That's not why they lost. Very, very, very bizarre. Are they going to win all. a game this year, Paul? Oh, who's... New Mexico Hawaii, still no. New Mexico, New Mexico and Hawaii. Maybe I New Mexico, Those are the two but left. That's my guy, Danny Gonzalez. I mean, he gave yeah. me a lot of time on the phone when I did a Tom Flores story, so I don't know. But Marcus did too, so there you go. <laughs> All wow. right. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. All right, guys. Take care. He didn't mention uh, lane 20 and a half, the Reno lane 20 and a half this week. I forgot that it was homecoming. I a, did too. No a clue. Thursday night homecoming game? Yeah. I mean, it's the Raiders' fault. The Raiders kicked him out of Saturday. Because they played a home game the next day, and they're apparently not going to let that happen. But, yeah, 
Saturday or usually your homecoming. You gotta have a Saturday. The whole point of homecoming is people come home. Oh sure, the and, big, the big, the big uh, halftime presentation yeah. on who the king and queen is. Yeah. It's a lot harder to do to come home on a Thursday than it is on a Saturday. Yeah. I didn't. I genuinely didn't realize colleges. Like I've watched college football. I did not realize that like they actually did homecoming as like yeah. like it's like I thought that was just like a high school thing. There's not like a dance, is there? I no. hope not. No. I don't God, know. I, I mean, they not. have kings and queens at the at the halftime. They 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 have a homecoming court. Yeah, there's uh, I mean, at Ole there's... Miss, the all the fraternities and sororities right. have like homecoming right. parties, but right. there's no like dance or anything like there's that. Like thirty thousand people that go to UNLV. Like, <laughs> could you win homecoming king and just be like? What? Yeah. Oh who, yeah. yeah no like, who, who wrote me? Yeah. yeah, it's homecoming. What's fun is when you have a bad team and UNLV qualifies for this, finding out which game they're going to pick is homecoming. Because normally you pick a bad team for homecoming, so you win the game when yeah. everybody comes back yeah. and it's woo. Everybody it's came tough, back to see a, a tough win. choice. Yeah, it's like when you're UNLV, who's homecoming? Well, we might be able uh, to beat San Jose Hawaii's State. Hawaii's no good. Nope, uh, didn't work out very well. They've done. I think they've done Hawaii a lot for homecoming because it's usually. <laughs> Hawaii's probably like, you well, know, we're going to take this personally because every time we come to this damn place, it's, it's homecoming. Well, for them, it's also a home game a yes, lot of the that's time. that's true. That is true. It is. All right, coming up next, the greatest post-game radio show in college football. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Don't get the strength and conditioning coach is doing a lousy job. All right. Yes. Jesus yes. H. Christ, man. Two bits, four bits. Five got a whole damn double. bunch of them. You got oh, four games left to go. Jesus. Well. I love Jeez, you. Man. Love you, Hattie. Yeah. Bound and determined to give me damn a damn right. heart attack. Why don't you just get a, a group of student assistants damn to go right, coach Joey. the next four games? Because then, I love then you. it'll be better. Stop it. For you to compare hospice care to... Football is the worst freaking thing you could ever do. You ought to be a freaking shame to yourself for doing it. Hey, let me tell you. Oh, good, buddy. Let me tell you something, okay? You know what? Damn you. Because I've been involved with three. All right. Okay. You want Napier. You want Napier. Nate, Bill, I love you. Hanny, he can't come from Lafayette. Speaking of English, I'm not pushing Napier. You, you don't. Hey, your problem is you don't know. I know what your problem, problem is. is you don't listen. No, you're what we you, you say twelve I'm times a show. Charlie, finger. I gotta I'm ask you a question. And your you ear. don't answer. You don't listen to my answer. I'm gonna put your drawers you in a crack your ass. Listen. You don't listen. You said you'd be okay with it. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, uh, okay. You're, you're... you're locked in the press box. Oh. We Boy, have fifty we some dollars. Great audio, <laughs> man. We have fifty press box transition. <laughs> Jesus, man. We have a fifty dollars gift box certificate transition to Smoking Pig Barbecue <laughs> out at four three seven nine Las Vegas Boulevard. <laughs> open seven days a week. We'll take caller number one at seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. You'll get fifty bucks to go out to Smoking Pig Barbecue. Great restaurant. Fifty bucks. Smoking Pig Barbecue. Um, that audio you take, just take the next call. Heard. It's me. I wanted to see if I could get in. Ed was caller number one. Call. Well, I really want to go to that place. You do that place up so much. I'll drive out it's there. It's great. Sounds like it's great uh, barbecue. Yeah. So <laughs> the audio you heard there 
was from the Eagle 98.1 in Louisiana. That was a post-game show from LSU Ole Miss from the LSU perspective. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it wasn't the Ole Miss perspective. Ole Miss won 31 to 17, and those were your two hosts. Um, I do not know their names, <laughs> even though I think they yelled them six times in there. But that was a post-game show after an LSU Beautiful. lost, and it was Classic. phenomenal. I don't even know what the context is for what's wrong with the strength and conditioning coach. Is that what that was about? He wanted to fire somebody? Well, the very first part, that was like three different Some clips, Some kind of assistant coach or something. Yeah, that was like three different clips that were spliced together. But the first one was they're mad at the strength and conditioning coach, which is a very strange person to be yes. mad at. <laughs> like, is LSU significantly weaker than the rest yeah, of, of the SEC? college football? Their guys can't bench press a lot of, a lot of weight. And they're blaming the workout regimen. But that was 98-1 the Eagle post-game show Beautiful. for LSU football. Yeah, I, I got in the first sentence or two, they wanted someone fired. And after that, he talked about Underwood up uh, underwear up his butt and uh, like a lot of stuff. I, I lost track Comparing of whatever the hell he was talking about. hospice care. Yeah, hospice care. And then some guy called in and was not happy with that and had to bleep him out, had to go seven-second delay on that guy. And it was crazy. I, okay, so first of all, bleep you. <laughs> I was literally, I picked up the phone and I was like, wait, 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 wait. There should be a 10 second delay on <laughs> on how whoever called. Anyway, congratulations to Christian. Good job, Christian. Good job, Christian. Way to get in second. I turn over. Jared's on the phone trying to take the winner. Ed just has his cell phone out <laughs> in the middle of a segment. And I'm like, am, am I, I doing Am I on my on? own now? Uh, what happened God. here? Oh, beautiful. Look at the poor people. Uh, Oh no, uh, that's I I put it on make busy oh, because okay. we took caller number one. Yes, because um, we had to get to the Eagles post game okay. show of LSU football. You done a post. You did a post game show for a little bit for you and LV, and I don't think anyone like how good of a team do you have to be or how fo- like where's the line of demarcation of winning the national championship and the fans are calling in to tell the post game guy bleep you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a great clip. Where'd you find that Twitter? Yeah, uh, Daniel Cardenas <laughs> tweeted it out. I don't even know who Daniel is. He works for 105 ESPN in in New Orleans. It's, <laughs> I've, and I and I'm guessing that's one of their competitors. It's an unbelievable video. I mean, would we ever get that way against about UNLV, or would we all just agree? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think we'd ever disagree that much. About I UNLV. mean, well, okay. Here's the key right now. Uh, having watched about 90 seconds of these two guys on this postgame show, I feel confident saying they are both LSU fans. Yeah, that's exactly. This is like There's if a... you were doing a Dodger postgame show. Okay, so that's it wouldn't how be that. We'd all agree on UNLV, right? And because... by the way, UNLV strength and conditioning coach with the big beard. That guy's like one of the. Yeah, like, he's one of yeah. the. Yeah, go guys for out it there. if you yeah. want to take him on. Yeah, go for exactly. it. So I would. Yeah, this would have. This is like fan postgame okay. radio. This all is right. like if you and I did a postgame show after a Dodgers Astros games, and we're okay. just and yelling we went completely crazy about yes. underwear. Yes. Just yelling at each yeah. other. Or Put whatever. some underwear over Doc Roberts' heads. I'll tell yes. you that with that pitching change. Thanks for checking in on that guy. You're home for the summer, Doc. <laughs> we don't have anything else. Let's just end it. 